Hello, my name's James Pikeway. I'm the host of Creative Mornings here in Dubai, and welcome to the Creative Mornings in Dubai podcast. This is the podcast of the 68th edition of our morning breakfast lecture series. The theme, liminal, and the speaker, Dr. Jenna Burton. Here we go. Right, so before we start, we thought, well, I'm, I am medical, so we'd play a little game. I don't know if this is gonna work because I can't see anybody's name tags. So it might just be that we all have to do some audience participation. All right, so we'll start off with, um, hey James, what's the sound that your heart makes? And I want you all to say, so come on, can we do it? Hey James, what's the sound that your heart makes? Hey Maha, what's the sound that your tummy makes? Rumble, 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 rumble. Oh yeah, we keep going, yeah. Okay, hey cat, what's the sound that your teeth make? Chatter, 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 chatter. I need another name. Someone give me another name. What's your name? What's your name, sorry? And? Aldrin. Aldrin. Hey, Aldrin, what's the sound that your feet make? Stomp, 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 Another one? What was your name, sorry? Orifa. What's the sound that your hands make? Clap, 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 Come on, clap, 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 What's it now? This is where we have to take it a bit lightly. What's the sound that your eyes make? Blink, 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 and blink. Big round of applause, congratulations. You know, we don't congratulate ourselves enough in life. You've just learnt the very basic sounds of the body, and I say sounds very lightly. Um, so to introduce myself, I'm Jenna. I am a doctor based here in Dubai. Um, I've, I've known our nutty professor for many, many years. He's never thought to invite me along, so I don't know whether they've either completely run out of guests or it's, it's quite possible, and the way they're looking at each other, it's very possible, or they, they thought maybe I was too medical, I wasn't creative enough for creative mornings, again, quite possible. Maybe he's fed up at me, he sees me every week on a podcast, so he thought she's too annoying to bring along again. Or, and I think this could be the one, he thought that my absolutely terrible British Northern accent would totally ruin the integrity of creative mornings. <laughs> so just to show you, this is my hometown. This is beautiful, glorious Birkenhead. Um, the other connotations with my accent um, also are theft. Sorry, I don't know if it's just gonna... Did I press anything? Sorry. So theft, connotations with this area. Um, phrases such as, all right, mate, and I'll have half a chicken and a can of coke, please. Um, and, you know, I hate to say it, but prison. And I would not be lying to you if I told you I have some family members very happily, I believe, residing in Her Royal Majesty's prison in Liverpool as we speak. Okay, so yeah, this is where I'm from. Um, and today, as part of Creative Mornings, I've been asked to talk to you about something called liminal. Are you, have you ever heard of it? You have to look it up. You, so you're not allowed? We have to, all of us have to look it up, what is that? All the, all all the random adjective? I like the way you're thinking, it's not, not, quite, it's not quite right. 
Um, liminality is also the um, the adjective. Oh, sorry, adjective is now is that I had to look this up as well, so I've got to remember it. <laughs> Liminal is the adjective, and the noun is liminality, and I think that sounds super cool. So, if we were to take this wonderful film, if anybody remembers it, anyone remember this film? Of course. Absolutely. So these guys are chilling out. Okay, they're waiting. They're not alive. They're not dead. They are in the neither world. And let's, let's, let's listen to this part. They're transitioning, and that's what liminal is. They're transitioning from one life into another, and that is the point of liminality. So when I say, what is it? You have to shout, liminal. So what is it? Liminal. It is, that's right. That's about the extent of my ability with graphics, so. Um, RuPaul. RuPaul by day, okay, gentleman in a nice suit and a shirt and tie. Very different Ru by night. He transitions, he has a gender transition from day into night. What is it? Liminal. Absolutely. I know you bowled over by uh, my graphics here. An empty school. Okay, so when we think about a school, it has a very definite connotation, association. When all the children leave, the teachers leave, it changes. Okay, it changes the association. It transitions from one thing to another and actually feels like quite an eerie place. What is it? Liminal. Well done. That was not as loud. So the other thing that is also considered liminal is a change in our life. So teenagers are going through liminality. They're in a state of change. They're not children, they're not adults either. A midlife crisis is also known as liminality. So if we can just, this is just an example, I don't know whether it's gonna load of, of a midlife crisis. Oh, James, it's not gonna work. We need a live rendition. It's not working, James, come on. Should we all start clapping? Everyone clap for James. So that's that's midlife crisis. It's what is it? It's liminal. Yeah, exactly. So what what we need to do before we go and sort of talk about my experience of living in a liminal world is to appreciate what is liminality. Like, what does it do? It makes us feel quite anxious. It makes us feel a bit nervous. Maybe we feel quite excited because we don't know what's coming. We're transitioning from one thing to another, from a place of certainty to a place of total unknown. Okay, so it's really important that we keep that in our minds. So, oh, oh he's off. We didn't even need to do it, James. Never mind. So, <laughs> to take you through my experience, I've had a very long, I guess, transition. And I have experienced liminality for a very long time, as I'm sure most of us have. So this is me as a child, blissfully unaware that this would be me as an adult. Um, and it's not easy to be like this under your skin when people see you like this. Okay? So everybody sees me as a doctor, a scientist, you know, especially in Dubai, they can't call you Jenna, they have to call you Dr. Jenna. And I'm like, Jenna is fine, thank you very much. As James has just alluded to, I really like everything in life. I've had so many experiences and I, I want to experience everything and I enjoy most things. And the fact that I've actually kept my experience within healthcare for me feels very, very focused. 
I would love to tell you that I've been an anaesthetist for the past 20 years. I'm very, very, very knowledgeable in a particular area of anaesthetics. I'm now very wealthy because of uh, this focus and this groundedness that I've had. But instead, my healthcare portfolio includes, well, James has sort of touched on it, I've collected patients from Afghanistan, Iraq in air ambulances. I have worked with airlines when we decide to divert the aircraft because someone's sick. I've set up occupational health initiatives. I've worked in labor camps trying to get better healthcare for them. I have injected Botox to the masses. I've worked in cosmetic dermatology hospitals. I've worked in A&E in the UK and in Australia. I've done pretty much everything, healthcare management, anything you can imagine with healthcare, I've given it a go and I've really enjoyed it. I am random and I wish so much that I fit into a box, but I've, I've really struggled to do so. When it came to doing my university applications and I had to pick sort of GCSEs and A-levels and university degrees, I found it quite frankly one of the most stressful things ever. I think I was the only child in the 90s that was begging to do extra GCSEs and A-levels. And I did, it's such a millennial thing to do, isn't it now? Like just, you know, do a couple extra A-levels. That didn't happen back then. Um, and I think I was just struggling. What box do I fit into? What box do I pick? Do I do zoology? genetics, performing arts, medicine. And eventually I thought, you know what? I like people, I like science. I'll do this medical degree, but I had absolutely no intention of ever being a practicing doctor. And then here I am, back in the day, um, where I was directing the medics pantomime, which was probably the best time of each year for me. And it was the time that I could really let out this creative side because I tell you what, it's not easy to think maybe a little bit differently and be put in a, a, the box of science with a bunch of scientists. And you know, you have to remember with my background, I came from a really straight thinking family. Mum, dad, brother, really following the rule book in life. I mean, my brother's an engineer for goodness sake. If there's a rule book, they're following it. You get a job, you do well in your job, you get promoted and you have a nice life. And there's me saying, mom, why can't we just put a scrambled egg in a Yorkshire pudding this morning for breakfast? And why can't I just take my scissors and cut this mole off in my bedroom? It bleeds a lot and it does grow back. I know that from experience. <laughs> um, you know, why can't I just have two rats in my bedroom? Honey and Bunny died ages ago. Like I might as well just keep them up in my, under my desk. And then obviously I did do that. Parents found out not very happy. I was spending many nights in my bedroom, writing poetry, writing songs, creating, dreaming of performing, and being labelled constantly as over-emotional, over-sensitive, different, weird, eccentric. And so I really did not like myself, and I thought there was something wrong with me. I was just basically embarrassed to be me. And you can understand, like, let's just have a little look. So when we Google eccentric and weird, there's a whole wide variety of things that come up. So let's have a little look. This lady, she's not so bad. She just likes a little splash of colour. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with her on that one. This lady's a little bit more odd. She's got her cigar. She's chilling out in a doorway. Who knows why? Um, but you know, she's, she's okay. This guy, he's just committed to a great Halloween costume. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, on the same Google search, You'll also find some more interesting characters. And I thought when people were telling me that I was weird or eccentric, that this is what they're referring to. And I have got something here to read to you. So I found a way to cope. So I've had symptoms of an eating disorder for as long as I can remember. Sucking in my stomach hard before I'd let myself fall asleep. 
I'd throw off my clothes and I came home from school, preferring baggier and looser material. I took out snacking, I thought lunch was just an unnecessary luxury, and I survived years on only breakfast and dinner, and it worked quite well for me. But I was tired, I was irritable, and very emotional. My menstruation stopped and eventually so did my hunger. And, and this lasted for about seven years, and I had a trip to India with university colleagues, and it saw my weight drop further. And I quite liked the change. My confidence was soaring as my hair was thinning, down to one meal a day, occasional weeks grazing on only water and undressed leaves. To the outside world, I felt I was reflecting happiness. I would do a, a jog five times out of seven, running half a marathon easily on a Saturday, and I believed I was happy. Only I avoided breakfast with friends. I had millions of superficial relationships. And one birthday, I waited to see how long it would take for somebody to invite me out, rather than myself constantly taking the lead to do something, and no one called. Realisation was then dawning that my hard, straight-lined exterior was actually housing an empty and rather painful loneliness. So I basically substituted an eating disorder as a way to cope. And I used my eating disorder as a way to cope with the fact that I didn't fit into a box. I had self-disgust. Why, why am I different? Why don't I fit like everybody else seems to? I had self-disgust for the fact that people would shoot each other looks when I would be at a dinner table and say, do you know my cat's a hermaphrodite? My cat is actually a hermaphrodite, by the way. And um, people would often shoot each other looks when I said things and I'd think, God, like, and I'd hate it, feel so embarrassed. I used my eating disorder to cope with the self-disgust I had when people would get frustrated at me. They get so frustrated. If you do something against the grain and it goes horribly wrong, everyone's got a comment to make. Why couldn't I run the marathon just down the road in Liverpool? They had a marathon, but no, I had to go to New York. But then I lost my passport and I couldn't get home. Why, Jenna? Why couldn't you have just done what everybody else has done? Then I go to Australia, decide I don't want to do my F2 like everybody else is doing in Oldham Hospital. I want to go to Australia to do it. But then, you know, the handsome, hunky Australian guy breaks up with you and then you're on the phone to your parents saying, is there any chance you could just come round for a cup of tea in Australia? And I'm like, Jenna, again, they get really frustrated. And it's, I felt I hated myself for it. And you know, the eating disorder is a funny one because I, I don't want to spend all of this time just talking to you about it. I'm obviously going to give a real serious nod to how, how serious it was. But I don't want to just be about the doctor that had the eating disorder because I feel like I've got more to give than that. But for a long, long, long time, being thin was quite frankly the only asset and my best asset I felt I had. And, and look like, you know, I, I was really quite low weight there. And yet with a bit of a fake tan, a bit of makeup, nobody even knew. And I really, really liked that. I liked that people admired me for my figure. However, it didn't last forever. And bulimia quite commonly follows anorexia. You restrict yourself and then the next thing your, your, your body basically tells you, take in as many calories as you can to try and save you. And that's what happened. It was really chaotic. And it was a very dark and troubled time for me. I would, I would swallow salt to try and make myself sick. I'd read that, that that's what happens with, with dogs. Um, I mean, I basically totally got rid of my gag reflex eventually. I, I got myself fake nails that I would stop making myself sick, but instead I still did it. I tore my, my throat. I took 80 laxatives a day. I would be sick into bin bags if I couldn't find a toilet. 
I, I stole from friends, stole food from friends, I blocked drains. You know, it was a really, really chaotic and turbulent time. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'd say, again, it, I mean, it's gonna get lighter, don't worry, this is just a bit of a dark patch. Um, but I would say these words to myself. I'd, I'd, I'd wake up and I'd say, think of your eyes or bloodshot and think of that burn in your throat and think of your nails tearing away and think of all this that you wrote. Think of your nose tomorrow, painful, scabbed up with blood, and think of the fat storing away around your arms, your legs, and your gut. Because living forever is not possible, living the way that you are. And unfortunately, death has become her, is leering away not far. So get up and go to the gym and do all that can make you feel tasty. And don't continue to seek shallow comforts by acting in antics so hasty. I mean, it didn't work, but I did it every day. And, and I just want to sort of give a little again, just a reminder that with friends and family members, this was at the height of my bulimia. And you know, I had a great night, this was my birthday, I was about 22 or 23, but I just saved up a thousand dirhams effectively. Um, it was 200 pounds in the UK to go and see a psychiatrist minutes before, I was dressed in this outfit, um, minutes before, didn't tell a soul to go and see a psychiatrist to say, help me, please, I need help, I just don't know what to do. So again, a smile can hide a million things, can't it? All right, so a little bit lighter. We're gonna go back to liminal. So what I want to do is just talk a little bit about the transitions that we go through during the day and then over periods of time. So I've just alluded to a transition of doctor and patient. And as James likes to point out, this doesn't look very much like me. James takes terrible photographs, but he's also exceptionally honest. I've walked into podcasts and he's told me I'm looking a bit wrinkly today or some days, Jenny, you look an awful lot better than others. You know, yeah, thanks, James. Welcome to the world of being a woman. You know, so um, I, I really struggled basically to, to listen to doctors. I found it really, really hard to listen to what they'd say. And also, if you are a doctor and you're sat in a waiting room for, as a therapist, well, then you feel like it sort of dampens your credibility a bit when your patient walks in. And saying the words, you know, good morning, my name's Dr. Jenna, nice to meet you. How can I help you today? Feels like a bit of a facade, doesn't it really? When, um, when you're a patient yourself, whether it's on the sly or not. I was also a terrible patient. I did absolutely nothing that the doctors told me to do. Um, but, but even everyone that's medical, everybody varies through doctor and patient all day long. All right, so here I am, scientist, nut job. And you know, I make this transition every day. I love science, science is certain. Biology is not gonna let you down. There's no subjectivity. You will learn your stuff, full marks, A-levels, easy, not a problem. You just have to put in the hard work. However, on a daily basis, I flip between the two. And you know, we have to remember that's okay. That's absolutely fine, not a problem. Um, this is um, use of some emphatic space here, okay? So you can see this is confident me, this is insecure me. So basically standing up speaking is really easy. Like I, I, I really enjoy it. The hard part is going home afterwards and critiquing everything that you may think or you may have thought. You might be thinking, gosh, she, did she put in um, a special conditioning treatment last night and now she's got really flat hair? Because yes, you'd be correct, that did actually happen. <laughs> you know, you might be thinking, oh, that talk was a little bit dark or this woman's a total loon. And these are the things that I'm gonna obsess over. But whether it's delivering a podcast, whether it's getting on stage, being on the radio, not a problem at all. Um, this is me with my beautiful, beautiful babies who you saw in the video earlier. And um, I actually was told I couldn't have children because of all the problems with my eating disorder. And, and yet, look at them, I'm well acquainted with sleepless nights. 
I text James this morning, he's like, are you ready? I was like, well, I've been up every 30 minutes since midnight, um, so I'm as ready as I'm going to be. And I didn't even crack on a Red Bull, which is it's a miracle. Um, and this is me with my mum being, being a child. So even though on a daily basis, and I'm sure we all experience it, we can be parents, we can be that authoritative type figure, but likewise, sometimes we just need our mum to tell us, even when we're absolutely terrible at something, you're doing a great job. But this is Mummy Sue, and she does cross the line now and again. There was a nurse in a clinic I used to work in, and um, oh goodness, she could be nasty. And uh, I remember crying one day saying, oh mum, this nurse, she's just so not nice. She's like, right, give me her number. I'll call her up, I'll call her up and I'll give her a piece of my mind. I was like, mum, I hate to tell you this, but I am actually a medical professional. You know, like, it's really gonna affect how people feel about me if my mum in the UK rings up and starts telling off the staff. You know, so you have to keep her in check. But again, the point is that the, of a daily basis, we're making transitions. This now, very quickly, and I've done my very best to not, one, speak too fast, and two, have too much content, because I, I can talk very quickly and for a very long time. Um, I'm just going to briefly talk about a more progressive liminality. So there's me in my bedroom, hiding the fact that I've got this terrible eating disorder, writing poetry that no one ever sees, and I decided to set up a, a page. Graphics, again, shocking, but you, you probably gathered they were going to be bad anyway. Um, it's called Midnight Feast, and the idea was I wanted to educate people. Nobody's ever going to really spend any time on this website. It was, it was something for me, I think. It was for me to put my blogs, me to put my anger and my, some of my poetry out. And it was a really great, almost like an unravelling experience for me to do that. So again, it'll have had no traction. No one's looked at it. It doesn't matter. For me, it was therapeutic. So then I changed tact a little bit and I decided, you know, all right, I'm a medic, but I want to do a little bit, something different with it. So I had this slightly, slightly raunchy photo shoot done. I, like, I literally did not show anyone these photographs because I knew I wanted to do something a little bit different with medicine, but I didn't know what. And what I forgot is that there's absolutely nothing sexy about me at all. You know, so I had to, had to hide it away. But I was experimenting, I was thinking, starting to think outside the box and starting to play with this position of being a doctor. Again, a bit like, we're never going to use these really. Um, and I set up a Facebook page. I have virtually no followers. No one's really that interested. And sometimes I struggle, why would anyone be interested in what I'm doing today? But for me, again, it was like putting my stamp. Let's do something silly today. Let's put something really heartfelt and raw out there and not really worry what anybody thinks. I remember the night that I, I let it go live and I felt so exposed and I could just think, and I won't mention the name, she won't watch it, but just in case, I could think of a particular cousin watching it thinking, what the hell is Jenna doing now, you know? And I just thought, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter because I'm, I'm going to be me and this is me. So it was, again, a real pivotal moment for me, not that it necessarily mattered to anyone in the public. Then I realised, you know, I can just be the happy doctor and maybe that's the way I'm going to go, you know, let's, and that's definitely more appropriate. And a number of years ago, I did a blog called Anorexia to Arm Curl, and it was just teaching people about how if you want to be a physique model, how that there are similarities, some, sorry, similarities between that and some of the aspects of anorexia and bulimia. And I learned quite a lot about the industry. I got to speak on the radio about it. I, was, um, I got a few features, New Balance, a little video. And it was great because I felt like I was sort of getting my voice heard. But I was still feeling at that stage that I had to be, whenever I was Dr. Jenner, I had to have this very formal and professional nature about me. And then I... 
I created something new. So this is finally like knocking on the egg and the bird is out and free. So this is my project. I'm literally just at the very early stages of launching it. James knows I've been thinking about doing it for years, but for me, the problem isn't thinking about it. It's the action of actually doing it and putting myself out there. So I'm basically trying to teach healthcare to children under the age of five. I sing to my children more than I speak. Um, we're always making up silly riddles and rhymes. So the idea is why don't I actually do something with those and try and educate children. So these, this is the team and uh, these are my absolutely gorgeous babies. Um, I don't know whether it'll go anywhere, I don't know, but you know what, it's fun, it's informative and for me I feel like I've been set free and, and kind of like a reminder that it's okay to be a medic, to, be, to do research, to be interested in science, to be professional, but also to get up and have a stupid dance like James has just done. James has been rocking this liminal thing for years, but it's okay for me to do that. You know, that girl that was writing poetry in a bedroom, that girl that was making up a dance for her babysitter still exists, they've not gone anywhere. And I just have to remember that we don't always have to fit into a box. We can sometimes jump in and out of them because that, my friends, is liminality. <laughs> I am, just before I go to question and answers, I just wanna read one little thing for you, another one. And it's because, I don't know if you do have, I mean, especially a lot of people don't really like talking about eating disorders generally, and I appreciate that. And it's not something that I usually do over, you know, a, a random meal with friends. Um, but it's very frustrating for those around you because they don't understand. So I just want you to just listen to this and just have a little think that this is what that person is going through. So it's called Inside. So I want to be tall, feminine, assertive and be envied and yet somehow be invisible. I want to be admired, respected, different and to stand out from the crowd and yet somehow not be noticed. I want to feel full of love, warmth, satisfaction and content and yet somehow to feel empty. I grow stronger as I feel weaker and more definite as I disappear. I gain an ability to function as I lose my ability to be functioning. To resist is to succeed, to yearn is to be rewarded, to need is to be needed. I am strong as my body grows weak, I'm definite as I disappear, and I'm able to function as I lose my ability to be functioning. Help me, yet it's your help that I truly fear. Love me, yet guilt from your love causes this tear. Want me, and yet say the words, and I turn my head not to hear. My inner self grows as my outside collapse. This smile keeps the hair well under wraps. No one need know, I am but me. Out there for no one to actually see. Thank you very much. James was just asking when Dr. Florence is out. If you, if you go into YouTube and type in Dr. Florence, there are two videos there. Again, you know, be easy on me. You've just seen that graphics is not my strong point. Uh, if anyone knows anything about it, feel free to, to help me. <laughs> I need help. Yeah, yeah. But I just thought I'd just put that in there just in case. Um, so I have set up a Facebook and Instagram, but I haven't really launched it yet. I've not started to advertise it, but I will be within the next couple of weeks. When I've figured out how, uh, I, I will do it. But the videos are going to start being uploaded. So it's more for like schools. If you have young children before five, please do put them on, try and educate them and, and let them have a laugh at the same time. When you actually decided to get therapy, you know, for, you know, for conditions, but what was your experience, like, in, for the initial, like, say, the first few sessions 
and then subsequent to that, what was, what was your feeling? Well, it depends on what type of therapy you do. So for me, I went to a therapy called Gestalt therapy, and the gentleman that did the therapy had a very unique style. It was absolutely, it was really not very pleasant. You're basically in a room and he doesn't really say anything and you just have to use the space. You get no feedback from him. So I will always try and please people and he will never ever let you have that. So it was, it was really not very nice. And I think even just having that empty space, things came out that you didn't even know were, were hiding. And he told me at the beginning, it usually takes about even up to seven years to really get people with a chronic problem because I'd hidden it and given so many excuses for so many years. He said, it'll take about seven years. And I thought, nah, like I tried to leave so many times. And then when we sort of drew to the conclusion that maybe we were at the point where we could go our separate ways, I said, and you said it'd be seven years. And he said, Jenna, think about it. And it'd been seven years. So, um, so yeah, long, and, and you know, I still am a big believer in going, having emo emotional dumps with therapists, make it just something you do. It's not a big deal. You know, a lot of people, we tend to keep everything inside and it does have physiological and psychological side effects. Eventually it has to come out somewhere. And we do a lot of work with a lady called Cheryl Wasama, who's a great therapist here in Dubai. And she often says about, make sure you have mental wellness and not just seeking people when sort of you're at that point where you think help, I really need help. She says I have a question. Um, so um, you, you go through a lot of ups and downs, uh, something I relate to, but then what kind of support did you create for yourself so that you can um, hold yourself like, like a net before it goes up again or, or so that it can support you? And I understand that the ups and downs will be different each time, so the support might look different, right? So. Um, I guess the thing is, is that when I grew up, I was totally mollycoddled. I mean, you've just heard the story of my mum wanting to attack the nurse in Dubai on the telephone. You know, I was really mollycoddled, so I was used to being told everything's okay all the time. And I think it's learning tools that you can only really learn, I think, through whether it's therapy or wellness and schools, um, to cope with bad times, letting yourself realize it's okay if you feel a bit anxious, that's actually okay. Sometimes we want to live in this rainbow world where everything is rosy and it's okay if you feel a bit sad, that's fine. It's okay if you feel a bit anxious, you just kind of have to ride it. Um, and obviously when it gets to the point that it's interfering with your everyday life, that's the point maybe you would go and see somebody, you know, it's what I would tell patients as well. Speaking now as a doctor, that's when you would go and seek help if it's starting to interfere with your daily life or you're just, you know, it's been a long period of time and you're not, you're just not happy and you can't get that enjoyment back. But for me, it's just being, the biggest eye opener was when I realised it's okay. It's, it's all right to be a bit sad, it's all right to be a bit anxious at times. So that, that's how I coped, I suppose. Um, that was amazing. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable. Um, I just wanted to ask you, um, when you became a mother, did you feel like you had more space for this playfulness and this inside of you and creativity? Do you know, when I became a mum, I realised, why is it we allow a playful world for children? And I really started to question, why does that disappear as adults? And I've even thought, how great would it be to make a massive playground for adults? What a great form of exercise and what a load of fun. And it's like we start to close in. And I really felt so strongly when I was in university and then afterwards when you've got this label attached to you that I couldn't really be playful anymore. And uh, it's taken me a long time, as I sort of talked about, to start to realise I can be. And I definitely think, I would agree, that having children is that pivotal moment of, hang on, you're being playful all day with your children. Maybe I can use that side of me 
to help with the other stuff that I do. So yeah, and I do, if we take nothing else home, let's be joyous and playful in our lives. There's no reason it has to stop at the age of 12 or younger. Thank you so much for this morning. It was absolutely wonderful. And someone said um, you were really open and vulnerable with us. And it's really nice to see the other side of a professional, whether it be the personal branding online or a public face or whatever. So I really appreciated that. But I also appreciated starting with this song. And I, I don't know about you, but I think adults really can do with more kids' songs. In real life, yeah. You know, we, we learned songs similar to that as kids and we've forgotten them. You know, I don't know about you, but we have extremely long work days and stressful lives and all the rest of it. And just coming here this morning and having a laugh with you and listening to this wonderful roller coaster of a life you've, you've had and continue to have. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I'd love to sing the song again. Give that one. But you don't know the words, but. H is. Go on, just. This is freestyle. But you didn't ride. <laughs> it's the attitude. Hey! <laughs> T is for tasty. Eating foods will make me fight. H is for happy. Cause you and me living life so healthily. You ready? Healthy E. Eating A. Attitude. Cause L is living T. Tasty H. Happy, why you and me live in life so healthily? H is for healthy, E is for eating right. Hey, I'm clapping you. You gotta love living life so right. T is for tasty, eating foods will make me fight. Hey, is for happy. Ready for the actions? Life so healthily, H, healthy, E, eating A, attitude, cause L is living T, tasty, H, happy, Y, you and me live.